Thanks, friends, for joining us on a special edition of Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on the Line of Fire. It's special for two reasons. One, we have a dear friend from Israel who's in the States now before heading back to the land. Uh, She and her husband have an amazing ministry there helping, well, you'll hear for yourself the people they've helped, what they've been able to do over the years. Uh, Also, an amazing testimony we'll get to share the other reason this is special is because of all of the weather problems, the, the power outages in Texas. We have a satellite that broadcasts some of our shows out from there. Uh, because of that, we are not doing live radio. We're doing exclusive Facebook, YouTube feeds. So all of you that watch normally on Facebook or YouTube live or subsequently, it's all the same for you, except no commercial breaks. We don't have to divide anything up. We don't have to stop in the middle of the flow of a conversation. So... It is just yours truly, all of you, and my special guest, Bacha Siegel. Uh, Bacha and her husband, Barry, lead Vision for Israel in Israel, uh, a decades-long ministry. There's so much that they do, and in particular, Joseph Storehouse, which has been an incredible way of serving in a humanitarian way. As Messianic Jews, serving the larger Messianic community, the larger Jewish community, Holocaust survivors, so many others living in Israel have been helped and blessed. So, Abacha, it is a joy to have you with us today on the Line of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. <laughs> All right. So, Abacha, tell, tell our viewers how you were raised, your, your background, what your views of God were as a child and as you, as you grew into a young adult. Oh, well, I have a very rich <laughs> uh, background uh, growing up in a Jewish Orthodox home. I was the youngest of five children. My parents came from Yemen, and uh, they uh, established their life in Jerusalem. And, um, yeah, it was just an amazing um, experience being in a family that loved God, loved the Bible, very warm family, very loving uh, family. and. Um, I actually learned how to relate to God in a personal way, which is also an amazing thing because my father, since we were very little, uh, he was always telling us, when you go to sleep, this is how you pray. And you always pray to God in a personal way because he hears your prayers. So Mm. all your needs and all your cares and all your worries, you give before God and you pray to God and he hears you. And so that was something that was planted in our hearts since very, very young age. And so um, I cherish that and I am very grateful for the way my father uh, raised us up. So in other words, growing up in an Orthodox Jewish home for you was not just a matter of rules, regulations, laws, formal prayers. It, It was for you in many ways something beautiful being raised in that environment. Yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, as a, as a little child, I mean, I was, you know, I was pampered. I was uh, in a very warm environment. Growing up later on, I had a lot of questions, you know, being a teenager. Um, when I turned to be 12 years old, I remember that uh, I asked my parents if I can go to a school, a secular school, and my parents asked, you know, especially my father, he says, why are you interested to go to, to that school? And I said, because I don't think that, um, you know, fulfilling all the, the, the rules that are, you know, the set of rules we have, the mitzvot, as they say, uh, will get me closer to God. I said, I know who I am and uh, I'd like to explore uh, other things in my life. To, to be developed. And he was totally supportive of me. Uh, my father both 
my mom and my father. And so, uh, yeah, I can just say that I started having some questions about certain things uh, when I was a teenager. Um, I can just say, you know, the amazing thing, uh, too, was that I was very blessed and very fortunate to have good friends in our neighborhood uh, from school. And so my life was very rich. I was very involved in... In so many uh, different things as a child that I was exploring um, and I, I felt like you know I had a gift and I have talents and uh, I always wanted to move forward in my life you know you know the the feeling of like uh, being curious knowing learning more about you know what life has for me and so yeah learning to uh, live um, in, a, in a secular school was a little bit of a shock for me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> in some ways, because all of a sudden i I came across teachers that were not teaching the Bible from a faith point of view. They were total secular, humanistic, and you know, were agnostic. And so it was a real challenge because it was really a testing time for me to uh, you know to to learn how to answer and where is my faith in God if it, I still believe in God or if I'm following her teaching that is like the the the, the Bible is just a, a book of a very nice compilations of um, you know of stories and so that was another challenge from the other side mm-hmm. uh, but I I can just tell that even as a 12 year old I was already experiencing going through the war in Israel uh, the the six-day war and um, I knew without a doubt that God is in control of the history and the destination of the Jewish people even as a teenager so, so let, me, let me just ask this though the perspective of, of someone not even a teenager yet, the Six-Day War, so it's 1967. We're looking at it from outside the world. I, I would have been 12 years old at that time as, as well, and we're hearing about it, and it seems like a miracle. And, but again, we're distant. We don't know how threatening it felt. But as that began to unfold, what, what, would, what did it feel like? What do you remember it feeling like as a 12-year-old? What was the atmosphere? How, how did Israel feel like this could be it? We're being attacked. We're being threatened. Was there a sense of the whole nation praying? What, what did it feel like being there? Well, I tell you, uh, in, in, in Israel, it's uh, maybe not like in the United States, but in Israel, almost every single family have one or two or three members of their family serving in the military. Mm-hmm. So we feel it very close to our home. Yeah. And I felt it because both my father and my, I mean, my father and both my brothers were serving in the military at that time. And so... Of course, there is fear. There is great fear. And as a teenager, hearing the bombs and hearing the rockets and hearing just the sound mm. of, of a war is horrible. It's totally horrible. You hear destruction and and the fear is, is very strong. And But, you know, they were teaching us, training us how to um, uh, go into the shelter and what to do and how to do. And so when there was a, like a little bit of quietness, they told us, now you're released to go home and this is how you go home and this is, you have to be very close to the walls. And if you hear any rockets, you have to, you know, lay down on the ground, things like that. So of course, as a teenager, it was very, yeah. very scary. And yep. we felt like we're about, that our nation may be destructed, may be completely destroyed because we knew we were surrounded by so many enemies all over. 
And so uh, we were praying as a little as, as a little girl. I remember I was just praying. I prayed to God. I said, God, you're going to help us uh, and, and, you know, keep my father alive, keep my two brothers alive. And so when I got home, uh, my, my mother was not there. And I was told by the neighbor that uh, we're going to use the shelter at our neighbor's house. So um, we ran into the shelter, and then my mom came and my sisters. And the only thing we had was the radio. So we were like four families in a very tiny apartment of our neighbors. Mm. And we were listening to the radio, and we were really praying. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, as a kid, I remember I was playing with the other kids, but we were very, um, very tuned into the, to the news. And so then we, uh, we heard the second day the great miracle that uh, Israel has been able to defeat their enemies. And mm. as a little child, I just remembered, really, we're doing it? We are so, you know, few uh, of our soldiers and we're defeating these huge enemies. Um, and I knew that God is there for us, for the Jewish people, preserving us as a yeah. nation. Amazing, amazing. And yeah, just to... To feel what it'd be like, you know, it's not, it's not like it's out there somewhere where America's fighting a battle in another part of the world. This is right where you live and family members involved. By the way, a few years later, 1973, Yom Kippur War, you had an interesting neighbor, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. About uh, six months uh, before the war began in October 1973, I moved to help an elderly woman in uh, in Jerusalem. And, uh, and her house, her apartment was literally next door to Golda Meir, the prime minister mm. of Israel. And so <clears throat> when the war started uh, during Yom Kippur in 1973, at at that time, I was already 17 years old. And so I realized that uh, something is happening because I remember, you know, it's a total quiet day. No cars are moving around. No, you don't hear anything except the people that are praying at the synagogue and then coming back home to rest. And at about 2 o'clock, it was 1.30 or 2 o'clock, I, I saw so many cars coming into the prime minister's house, Golda Meir, and... Um, and I said, something must be happening. Something may be happening. And um, of course, we heard in the news that a war began. A few hours later, the ra it was announced in the radio. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so friends, real life in Israel. By the way, if, if you're watching and say, how come you don't have both guests on the camera? This is set up as a radio studio versus a TV studio with a, a giant set and all of that. So when we have a guest in studio, it's wonderful because we can see each other face to face and and it's it's more intimate and we don't have to rely on an outside connection. But you get to see the the face of the the person I'm interviewing. But uh, Bach, if you just turn around, you got an admirer there on the on the screen ah. that just yeah, <laughs> her daughter just signed in on Facebook. <laughs> hey Leron, glad glad to have you with us. Okay, so so uh as you're growing up now, how is it that, that you come from an Orthodox home where you felt like you love God, now some of your beliefs challenged in a secular setting? How do you get from that to becoming a believer in Yeshua, especially when, when hardly anybody in, among the Jewish community, especially a sovereign, native-born Israeli, hardly any were believing in Yeshua back then? What, what happened? So in uh, as the war began, you know, I was right about to go and serve in the military. I actually joined uh, the the military in January, and the war began in October. So two months uh, before I um, 
I was uh, joining the, the forces, I already had friends that were in the military serving. And uh, I lost some of my friends uh, in the war. And it was very devastating because I knew that there must be a life after death. Mm-hmm. And so questions were coming into my mind because I was, at that time in my life, I was total secular. I was... Um, not believing in in you know in the way that I was raised up as an Orthodox Jew and uh, I knew that there is much more to God than just to you know fulfill the mitzvot and to to do all the traditional things because you know I did I did feel obligated to do it because that was my identity but I didn't feel like that was giving me satisfaction in my life and so I was searching for something you know, it was like almost like a, a feeling or a sense that there's something more to God than this. I loved God. I, I knew that he exists, but I didn't know all the capacity of his love and compassion to me. Mm. And so um, in, in 1974, when I went and served in the military, and uh, of course I realized that some of my friends uh, passed away, I decided to, uh, you know, I, to, to search more for spiritual things. I, I joined, uh, the, the, I did like a transcendental transcendental meditation. Uh-huh. I did all sorts of kind of weird stuff, you know, like I think every Israeli is searching. And uh, I, I I just found that there is something really fake and not full in it. I just said, look, this is not really anything to do with my foundations. And so uh, I went on and I... Um, <clears throat> A, I think it was like a year after after my service, I got married to to um, um, a person that actually was a friend. He was actually serving in the military, and um, we got married. And after like four months, we realized that it was not meant to be, and so we decided that we're going to part ways. And when we when you know when we um, that day that specific day we said okay the next morning we're going to go to the rabbinical court and we're going to try and get processed you know for the divorce and so when this came uh he was in a, involved in a very severe traffic accident mm. and um he was between life and death and his friend was was killed in that traffic accident and so uh I remember coming back home, going through this shock of hearing that he is like severely injured and he may not survive. I uh, I cried out to God. I don't know. I didn't know nothing else to do. But out of my desperation, I was crying out to God. And I said, God, why is this happening? Just last night we spoke we're going to be <laughs> separated and this is happening. Something must be going on. And I said, God, I know you're ex- you exist there. I know you're there. I want to know more of you. Please show me and guide me what I'm supposed to do now. And, of course, the first thing I did is I went to the hospital to uh, see him at the intensive care. And uh, while he was there, and he was he was like a vegetable for like a month. He mm. had a concussion. And uh, uh, so for one month, we didn't know what will happen with him. At that time, I found out that I'm pregnant. Mm. And uh, I said, wow, wow, what am I going to do? And I knew without a doubt that, I, that this is a gift from God. And so... That was just my conscience. And so later on, a, about, I think, uh, six months on towards that, I was looking for a job. I needed something more, uh, 
with better income. I felt like I can do more. I was working as a, as a, a secretary administrator for uh, the head of um, the financial um, in the Ministry of Finance. He's like the head of the budgets uh, department. And I, I said, I need something more with more interests. And I was offered a job. Somebody came, a friend of the family, and he says, you know, there is a place, a printing place. They want to get uh, somebody to be trained to work as a typesetter, graphic des designer, translator, editor. Uh, would you be interested? I said, yeah. I said, I don't know what it is, but it sounds interesting. I went for an interview. I was accepted to the work. They trained me a little bit, and the very first thing they gave me was the Hebrew New Testament to typeset. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, the Hebrew New Testament? I said, what is this place? So I went and asked the guy. I asked, I asked the boss. I said, tell me more about what you're doing here. And he said, uh, well, we're Messianic Jews, and uh, we are, you know, it's okay for you if you don't want to do the book. Uh, 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 but just to ask, had, had you, before this, had you ever heard of the term Messianic Jews or knew that the Christian Bible had the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and this this New Testament? Were, were you aware of those things? No, never. Never. I only knew about Yeshua, Jesus. They called him Yeshu. <laughs> yeah. That was the only thing I knew. And I knew a little bit about him, but I was not really, you know, I was searching for God. I was searching for something more uh, more interesting in my life, more in depth, something that can give me an answer about eternal life. Because so many people died around me mm. and that I wanted to know more about life after death. And so, um, you know, when I was you know, introduced to this place and got the New Testament, I knew without a doubt that I need to do the, the typesetting of this of this uh, book, the New Testament in Hebrew. And so um, I started reading it and I learned so much about Yeshua and who he is. And I felt like it was not a coincidence that I got to this place. I said, maybe God appointed me to be there at this time, at, mm -hmm. at, at that place, and to be able to read, because I love books. I, reading is like my number one love. <laughs> I love books. I love to write. I love to read. And I, and so God wanted me to read it so I can, you know, experience it even in a, in a stronger way. So... Um, so yeah, it was it was quite an experience uh, to do the New Testament and to learn about Yeshua being a Jewish Messiah, and 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 learn the words that he was speaking and everything was in Hebrew, and I said, wow, this is so powerful, and so for me it was like it made sense that Yeshua was a secret, hidden Messiah that nobody wanted to tell me about him, and here wow. I am revealing him, and I'm like. God, you're there, and, the, and Yeshua is my Messiah. So, I mean, in my head, it made sense to believe in him, but and, and I did, and I just said, it does make sense that he is the true Messiah. And, and so in doing this, though, and here, here's, friends, what I, I want you to grasp. Bacha did not have the feeling of, I'm leaving my people, I am abandoning my Jewishness, I am embracing a foreign religion and a foreign God, but rather reading the New Testament in Hebrew about Yeshua who came not to the Torah and the prophets, but to fulfill the one who's called Mashiach, Christ, right? Messiah. So reading this, she realized that he's, he's our Messiah. So that's what was happening, right? You were coming to this realization 
that Yeshua is our Messiah. This has been hidden from us. We don't know it, but he's our Messiah. So it wasn't like you were thinking about converting to Islam or becoming a Buddhist or something like that. In your mind, this was something you were doing as, as a Jew. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. I felt like he was the one that I was searching for many, many years. Mm. And so when I read the New Testament and I read the words of God in 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 those in the in the New Testament it was almost like somebody was like you know soothing my my wounds giving me mm. like it's like a hungry soul uh waiting to to be uh you know fed or I'm so thirsty I wanted and and I was like every word that was written I was like thinking and meditating upon it. And I said, this is exactly what I was searching. I was searching for life, life after death. What is happening to us? And here is Yeshua coming with such passion and such love for the Jewish people. And I said, and nobody told me about it. I didn't even know uh, that that he, you know, I mean, he, he was existing, but he was like not, you know, I didn't know that he was a Jewish, my Jewish Messiah. Amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah, so so at, at that time, Bach, as, as you're coming to faith as a young woman, if you had a guess, and just all of this is a guess, but from what, from what you knew or looking back what you know, how many other Sabras were there, native-born Israelis that also believed in Yeshua back then? If, if you had to just get a rough guess, what would you think the numbers were? Uh, you mean like uh, uh, real Sabras? Yeah, um, so native-born Israelis, just like you. In those days, very few. I think the ones that I knew, I could count maybe maybe thirty or maybe maybe thirty or forty that I knew. And so, and the rest were like a lot of them, like people that came from America, from yeah. other countries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, friends, I, I want you to realize, even if there were a few hundred, uh, you're telling tiny, 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 tiny numbers, just a handful of native-born Israelis who realized that Jesus Yeshua was the Messiah. And and I, I've read that at the founding of Israel in 1948, there, there were probably less than 10, some say even less than five uh, that had been born in the land previously that were believers. So this, of course, growing and growing to thousands, and then Messianic Jews in the land that have come from other countries as well, now several tens of thousands. But these are early days, obviously, opposition. So just to, to fast forward, there there's a whole amazing testimony with a lot more details, everything that happened with the, that, that first marriage and separation and, and divorce, and now your new life in Yeshua and all the battles with the rabbinic court and custody of your child. Mm. We, have to, we have to skip over that right. just, just for sake of time. But we, we bring in along the way here uh, someone who's got a lot in common with me, uh, Barry, Bacha's husband, because uh, Barry and I are both Jewish believers. Barry and I were both rock musicians, uh, he a guitarist, me a drummer, and Barry and I both came to faith in 1971, and Barry and I both came to faith in Italian Pentecostal churches in 1971. <laughs> God calls Barry over to Israel. God brings the two of you together. Uh, got an amazing family. I'm just chatting about your 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 daughter Liran that that I get to see at all these different mm -hmm. settings. That was just saying hi on 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 Facebook, but. God gives you a vision of not just traditional, we're going to do evangelism and outreach, but God gives you a vision of helping people in Israel 
in a humanitarian way. So before we get to today and even a few questions about COVID and things I want to, I want to talk to you about, how did this vision start? Because it's not like you had multimillionaire backers saying, hey, we want to get behind you and help poor people in Israel. How did the vision start with you and Barry? And what has it become since then? Yeah, yeah. it's really a, a miracle of God. Uh, we were doing a lot of um, the, you know, the graphics and then, you know, we were in business, we were establishing congregations in Jerusalem, doing a lot of praise and worship. But we, um, uh, are, you know, we were ministering uh, all around the world like you do. We were traveling to South Africa. And when we came back, it was in 1996, when we were coming back, uh, we turned the radio on on the taxi and as he's driving us home and uh, we heard about the explosion of uh, bus number 18 mm. in Jerusalem. And uh, we were so um, worried because we uh, knew our daughter, our oldest daughter, Maytal, was taking that bus and she was serving in the military in the, in, at that time. And so we, we didn't have a cell phone in those days. So we had to rush home. And when we came home, uh, we heard the news that she was not on that bus, and um, uh, we waited till you know they counted the bodies. A very horrible, tragic, tragic stories. Mm. And so uh, in the evening, I remember that uh, they were announcing the names of the people that were killed, and uh, I should say murdered, and um, and. Four of her friends were, mur oh. were were murdered on that. Oh they were my. exploded in this bus. And Barry and I were like in tears in front of the TV. We, could, we said it could have happened to our own flesh and blood daughter. And so we said, God, use us. Use us to whatever way we can do to help the Jewish people. We wanted to be a good testimony. We wanted to feel like we're doing something to change the life of people because we felt like, okay, this is like their last chance maybe to receive Yeshua or to, to, you know, to know about the love of God. So we just prayed about it and God just opened a, an amazing door that we could have gone, gone to visit 40 of the families that were in this bus uh, explosion because uh, it was a Sunday, uh, and a week later, another bus explosion of number 18 was happening, oh. and another devastation of like 40 people that were killed. And we said, no, we have to do something. And so we started going, because a lot of them were very poor families, and uh, a lot of new immigrants from Russia. So we started uh, going, uh, an amazing door was opening for us, and we were able to go and visit the families. We were giving them um, uh, a financial help to just help them meet the, the needs, the immediate needs that they, they, they had. And so that was a, an, an amazing door. And since then, we were not the same. I mean, God had a plan for us that was much bigger than our own uh, imagination or even prayers. We didn't even think of, you know, starting a humanitarian aid. We had a little fund, you know, that we were helping people, but uh, it grew up to uh, having containers coming into Israel and um, and connecting with lots of people in Israel that had the need, uh, a lot of disaster uh, medical supplies that were coming in, school school packs for thousands of children every year that they uh, were doing, and it grew to much bigger than uh, than anything we expected. Extraordinary, and you know when you when you talk about the pain and the devastation, obviously one life is one life, and whether you live in a country of ten people or a country of ten million people. 
one life is one life. And one family that suffers a loss is one family that suffers a loss. But to get a, a grasp of the, the trauma of this on a nation as small as Israel, you're, you're, if 40 people are murdered in a terrorist bus attacks, so you're talking about men, women, children, innocent civilians, others, just people taking a bus, you're talking about something of, of the magnitude. If you multiply it, the Israeli population compared to, say, the American population, that'd be very, very close to a 9-11 type of event. And you have one after another, and God cares. God cares. It's not just a matter of preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel is, is showing the love of God in a thousand different ways. So it's extraordinary to hear what, what birthed the ministry, and then you start to see God's favor on the ministry. So just paint a picture over the years. This is glorifying the Lord. You're not boasting about what you and Barry have done. This is only done with the help of, of all the supporters and all those that give and pray and, and go and serve. But from serving uh, elderly uh, survivors of the Holocaust to terror victims to other poor and needy Jew and Arab in the land. Just just share some of what you've done over the years. Yeah. So it's, it, it really started with the terror victims that we were helping. And then later on, it was like God is like completely opening the door for us to reach out to uh, many of the poor and needy families. Uh, a lot of the uh, children at risk, uh, we've been connecting with a lot of uh, educational centers. Also, uh, we were doing amazing work amongst the medical centers and the disaster relief uh, operations in Israel. And so, I mean, God was just like unfolding uh, things right in front of us as an, and, and, you know, we saw it as an opportunity uh, to move forward and to uh, be a blessing to uh, so many of them. So far, we've been able to help uh, over one point, I would say 1.4 million people. Mm. Uh, just with the uh, school bags, we're do we are doing an average between seven to ten thousand every year, and um, you know, so it's just such a heart heartwarming to know that we can make a difference in their lives. The Holocaust survivors, what we've done is we felt like a lot of them are very lonely. And so uh, in recent years, we decided, okay, what can we do to help them uh, be in an environment where they all feel like they're, you know, all together and doing fun things together and being excited. A lot of them very educated people. And so we've created these groups of uh, people that are coming together once and, or twice a, a week. There is the Hebrew-speaking uh, group and there's the English-speaking group. And also now there is a Russian-speaking group. And uh, they come together. We provide for them um, uh, all the uh, refreshments, the food. We provide for them a speaker, an artist that comes and, and do things with them. And the amazing, big, big surprise is uh, that God really gave us a center, a big center in, in Israel, in Modi'in. Uh, it's uh, 8,000 square meters, which is like 80,000 square feet, mm -hmm. which we dedicated uh, about three years ago. We moved into the building in 19, uh, 2018. And uh, we've been able to do events in the facility, which is uh, the real big blessing and um, a great miracle of God. Incredible, incredible. And, and what, what's so interesting is that people know Barry and Bacha are, are believers in Yeshua. They, they don't, everything they do, yell out to everyone who believes in Yeshua, but, but their testimonies are known, their, their ministry is known. 
and you are just embraced as fellow Israelis who love their people, right? It's just, in other words, yeah. when you show genuine love and you just do it in an unconditional way, people are people are touched by that love. What what about now with with well? Let me let me step back and ask this. You mentioned uh, the, the the schools and helping children and things like that. How how much poverty is there in Israel? How much need is there among Israeli children? Yeah, uh, the statistics are saying that one out of uh, every four children is uh, living under the poverty line, mm. or uh, sorry, one out of three uh, is living under the poverty line, and uh, it's it's. It's a heartbreaking to think that children go to sleep hungry, to think that families cannot meet the basic needs. And, um, a, you know, we, we're there to provide them with food, to provide them with the school, the education, whatever needs are, the needs are. We normally don't turn people off. If somebody is asking for help, when we work with the authorities, we check, of course, the, the situation and we are um, uh, approaching them and we're trying to reach out to them. Uh, in terms of uh, poverty now, it's even increased uh, since the COVID um, because of, you know, people are unemployed. People do, people do get some kind of benefits if they were not fired or, or if they are um, uh, out of work. There is a lot of uh, good things in Israel in terms of like the support they get. But imagine if somebody's already starting the salary, uh, you know, and the salaries are much lower than what they are here, uh, and then they have to leave out, you know, thirty to forty percent less than what their normal income is. Mm. They can't meet their needs. So yeah. there are many, many uh, that have fallen under the poverty line in Israel. And friends, if if you're watching and think, well, I want to do something, I want to help. If you're listening in visionforisrael.com, visionforisrael.com. Go there, check out what Barry and Bacha Siegel are doing with the help again of, of folks giving from all around the world, making a real legitimate difference in people's lives. All right, let's, um, let's talk about COVID for a moment. Israel has been on top of that early on, Prime Minister Netanyahu speaking about it as pandemic but there's a lot of controversy in that you have about 12% of the population is ultra-Orthodox. So, so they're very, very religious. They're, they're living often in very poor communities. Uh, it's, it's very common for them to have 10, 12 kids, even, even more. As much as possible, the, the men are, are, are studying Torah and rabbinic tradition all day. Uh, there's not a goal to, to make a lot of money, but rather to, to be there studying and praying. Uh, they're partially uh, underwritten by the government. And they have been very, everything is lived in community. Everything is done in, in community. Praying in the synagogue, children studying together, celebrations of, of holy days and things like that. So the, there's been a lot of controversy among their rabbis as to whether to go along with shutdown or not. Do they, do they defy it? But then they've had higher percentages, maybe 28% of the cases of COVID in Israel. Last thing I was reading, they've been hit harder. Now, uh, millions have been vaccinated, and there's the goal to, to require everyone to be vaccinated. So it's a lot of controversy in Israel, of course, in America as well, with vaccination. But what, what's happening with it? How's it affected COVID affected the society as a whole? And then what, what do we make of the whole vaccination controversy? You know, uh, Michael, what I'm feeling is that there, there is like, you know, um, 
such a torn nation because we have to choose between one way or the other way. Mm. I think that, I think, um, you know, the bottom line is that, yes, there is a big argument, even amongst the Orthodox Jews, about how much they, they should keep of, like, the social distancing and the quarantine and, how, and if they take the vaccination, not take the vaccination. And there's a lot of, a lot of like, we're all torn. And I think the same kind of uh, uh, division is happening here in the United States. And I, I, I say, well... I think Benjamin Netanyahu, Bibi Netanyahu, he, he's, he brought in the vaccination to Israel. And the unique thing is about Israel is that we have this very special medical system that, uh, you know, helps monitor, um, you know, about, you know, about the results out of this vaccination. And I and <laughs> if you ask my personal view on it, I, you know, I I. I just said, look, if we can save people's lives, that's great. If we can, if we can reduce the rate of those that are sick and and those that are dying from the corona, that's great. The, the question is that was it tested enough? Do we know enough about it? Was what was really the the uh, the thought behind the action of getting all these vaccinations to Israel and try and vaccinate the the entire population? What was behind it? We don't know. Um, I just know that the problem I- the problem Israel is facing right now is the British mutation and the Brazilian mutation and some other mutations over variants of of the of the uh, corona or the COVID, which they are saying now that they don't think that the vaccination is effective to the other mutation. The mutation came from England is highly contagious. Mm. And uh, they say that uh, actually because it's highly contagious, um, that's why there is a rise in the numbers of people sick in Israel today. Unfortunately, as you said, and you said it very accurately, there is a high number of the people that died that are from the ultra-Orthodox community, also from the Arab community. Mm. So I think we, Israel is, is definitely torn uh, between, you know, doing the vaccinations and not. But I think the majority now is, uh, is almost forced to do the vaccination because if you don't, you will not be allowed to get into shopping malls. You will not be allowed to go to concerts. You will not be allowed to go to performances and things like that. So there is a way that they said, okay, we're not going to force you to get the vaccination, but you will be eliminated from going to A, B, C, D uh, places. And and now they're saying you will be fined if they find you in the place. Let's say if they find you in a, in a, in a store uh, and, and you don't have the certificate that you've been vaccinated, you will be fined for a thousand shekel, things like that. So mm. it's it's really hard for us to comprehend what's happening. Things have happened so fast in Israel and, and in the world, I think, with COVID. Yeah. A difficult situation, obviously. On the one hand, the idea, well, the vaccination is going to save lives. Then others saying, well, you can't force us to undergo a medical treatment that you know so little about. We don't know the side effects and other ethical issues. So it's, it's, it's very tough. And then people saying, look, we'd, we'd rather work and, and be out in public and take our, take our chances than be closed in all the time. That's even worse. And you mentioned the Arab community. So that would often be poor community and with larger families and, and also very much community oriented like the, the very religious Jews. So obviously the, the disease could spread 
more the virus could spread more in, in that setting. So, folks, this, Israel Israel needs prayers in this too. It it, it has unique uh, a, a unique combination of things taking place, and then a, a a goodly percentage of Israel's economy relies on tourism. That people come from around the world. We we've had to reschedule our tour several times. Our last tour and others, it's been shut down because of that. So that's got to be just a major blow to the nation as a whole in terms of the economy with no tourism, correct? Yes, absolutely. I think Israel is hurting very much from the fact that it's completely closed now for tourism almost a year now. Mm. And so, um, yes, it's it's definitely affecting the economy. I mean, Michael, it's really, really sad to go in Jerusalem or any other cities and to see these huge hotels that are always had lights all over and full of people and full of life it's all totally dark and closed and it's 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 really a heartbreaking to see that so hopefully things may change but you know our trust is in God and our trust is in the Lord and I'm just so thankful that there are so many good things that are happening out of this covid which uh, I believe is bringing us more into a perspective of where God wants us to be in so many ways yeah t- tell us some of the good that's happening I think you know uh, the good at least from my perspective is that I think people are a little bit more aware of of how they spend their time how they spend their money how uh, they they um, have better better valued time with their own family members um, I think there's people you know people have time to uh, Uh, how do you say discover their own talents all of a sudden so there's a lot of like uh you know things that you can do positively and move towards you know the other amazing thing is that you see a lot of volunteers people are volunteering now I as a, as, a, as a humanitarian aid organization I'm receiving so many calls from so many uh, places to say we want to come we want to bring young people to come and help you uh, and and you know what we never lack a anybody that comes and helps us uh, with the distributions of food we do every week uh, and so that's amazing I mean for me to see people that are that have been retired from the army or from the police forces that they want to come and join forces with us that's awesome that's great you know we can reach out to the people that are in need yeah it's we've got to maximize the moment all around the world and And say okay a lot of people even asking questions too and what's the meaning of life and things seem so frail and I know this one died and that one died it's it's time for us to come with a message of hope and life and truth and then to be there in a tangible way uh, loving loving our, our neighbor as ourself getting friends to get involved to help go to vision for Israel.com vision for Israel.com see what you can do even from from a distance from outside of the land that's where the great uh, amount of support is going to come from about you you and you and Barry have been involved in music ministry you just gave me some of your CDs uh, and, I, and I've listened to, there's the Yemenites so there's the that Middle Eastern touch uh, in, in some of the music as well messianic music so you can find out about that and other resources they have uh, on the website but right now we have we shift in presidents so Donald Trump very popular in Israel and And moving the embassy to Jerusalem and then the accords with with different nations that were just amazing happen we've heard that Joe Biden and and Benjamin Netanyahu finally talked a few days ago and they, they said it was a very good talk between them they're old friends they're gonna work together but obviously 
No one really knows what's happening. Yet another election coming. Uh, it really is a time of great shaking and uncertainty. Uh, how do you feel? What what perspective do you and Barry have with yet another round of elections in Israel? Is is there a message? Is there is is there consensus among believers there? Uh, how does this look from the inside? Because the outside it just looks very chaotic. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's. Um, I think we live in a very, very unique times because they couldn't form a government for the last two years, and Bibi is still leading. I mean, even in the polls, he's still leading. I think the majority of the people in Israel are definitely are for um, you know more right wing than left wing, more conservatives, yeah. and uh, but it's um, it's. To be honest, it's really painful to even think about what we were going through. And I, I told Barry on the way here, I said, I don't know that if the, what will be the results. It looks like it's going to be almost the same way that they will. Yet and again. it's like wow. it's like the Arab, it's the Arab um, uh, parties that may have uh, balancing here. So I don't know. I mean, it's like. God, what are you doing uh, for our nation? I would like to see more like, you know, a majority for one side. But even amongst uh, the Likud, which is the right wing uh, where Bibi Netanyahu is uh, leading, um, even there, there was a split, you know, uh, between the two of them. Uh, Gidon Saar just was split from the Likud and he took like half of the people from there. So still uh, there is, uh, you know, half and half. It's like balanced. Um, I think as a, as, as a believer, God is bringing us to our knees. Mm. I think God is bringing us to a place where we know we are the people that can bring the answer. The answer for us is search the Lord, look up to the sky from where our help is coming. And did you know something very interesting that this Sunday at six o'clock, I believe, the Israel time, everybody... All the Jewish people all around the world are called to pray for the Messiah, yeah. to reveal himself. Who is the Messiah? Messiah, come. Messiah, come. I think it's amazing. Yeah. You know, Bacha, I didn't even know about that until one of my friends sent me a link uh, earlier this week. And I didn't see the link. I saw his email. I didn't see the link. I finally watched last night. I thought, Whoa. Now, obviously, not every Jew on the planet is going to do this, but it is a call, multi multinational, leading rabbis, Orthodox rabbis, and others signing on, saying, yes, we need to pray for the arrival of Mashiach. So the belief would be that he's, he's here among us, he's going to be revealed, or in, in other words, they're not looking for him to come in the clouds, but to somehow be revealed. But I remember last year, the health minister in Israel, Orthodox rabbi, said uh, Mashiach will, give it, will come before Passover. And, and that'll be the solution for the coronavirus. And, and then uh, others saying, we don't want to leave Israel right before that because Mashiach is, is near. And so, so there are going to be believers praying around the world at the same time for God to open hearts and minds. But you know what it reminds me of? There was an event in, in Cleveland, and it was in 1988. We had Israel's Hope Messianic Jewish Worship Group, and they were, uh, they were playing and ministering. And then I was preaching afterwards. And it was in a former reform synagogue. Uh, Marty Getz used to go there. In fact, Messianic worship leader and psalmist Marty Getz used to go there when he was growing up. Now it's just rented out in general because it's you know big, big stage and, and uh, auditorium and everything. 
So as I was preaching, local religious Jews came to the meetings, rabbis, ultra-Orthodox Jews. And afterwards, I talked, remember the first night, late into the night, just talking back and forth with one of the rabbis. And so it was the Saturday night service. And and after Shabbat, now men are finished with their their prayers and everything. I believe it was in October of, of, of 88. So they begin coming out to see the end of the meeting and to watch what's happening. They weren't coming there, at least outwardly, as seekers. They were coming to, to oppose what we were doing. So the meeting ends, and now they're outside. They're lighting candles and, and praying, praying prayers after the Sabbath on the steps of the building. The police are there. It's kind of a crazy scene. I go down, start talking to them, interacting, and it ends up after an extended period, dancing together and interacting. They're on the street. And they start crying out, God, we want Mashiach. Send Mashiach now. They're on the streets yelling at the top of their lungs. So I get right in their midst and I said, oh, God, reveal Mashiach to them. Show them who the real Mashiach is. And then they start yelling, God, not that one. The real Mashiach, not his Mashiach, the real Mashiach. It, it was a surreal scene. And I remember I got back to my room that night. My wife, Nancy, there with me. And I, I just broke down weeping. I just felt so, I thought, Lord, they're so near. They're crying out for Mashiach and they don't know who he is. So this is a remarkable thing. And and we believe that that God is going to open up eyes. So uh, last thing is we just have a few minutes left. What have you seen over these decades in terms of Israelis coming to faith in Yeshua, having their eyes open you were one of a handful in your day, but now the number is growing. It's still a very, very small percentage of the population, but the number is still growing. What, what have you seen from secular to religious in terms of Jewish people in Israel coming to faith? It's, it's really amazing because um, <clears throat> just, I think, two or three months ago, around Hanukkah time, we had a, a friend of ours with his congregation coming to visit us. Uh, just to show uh, our place to his uh, people at the congregation so they can be all very encouraged about God's miracles are taking place uh, still today. And one of the guys uh, was an Israeli guy, and he we were lighting the Hanukkah candles. And uh, I got to talk to him afterwards. I said, wow, you you know, you I didn't I, I, I don't think I've met you before. And uh, he's a young guy. He's in his 30s. And he told me a very, very encouraged of his testimony. And, he, and I said, I really want to know what brought you to the Lord. And he said, they're from the South. And he said that um, uh, about five years ago, his uh, brother-in-law was suffering uh, from, uh, a he had a big tumor in his head. And uh, the doctor says that they cannot do anything to help him. Uh, it would be too dangerous to even do surgery on his head. And out of their desperation, uh, there were secular uh, family. Uh, out of the desperation, he just started flipping through the, you know, through the website looking for rabbis to come and pray for his for his brother-in-law, hmm. uh, for his uh, nephew. And uh, he 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 found this uh, rabbi come to the hospital. Um, I, we are really needed uh, in prayer. And he says they were, and they, these rabbis, they told him, yes, we're going to come. And he was waiting. Uh, they said we're coming the next day. And he was waiting and then nobody came. So then he uh, flipped and he just kind of looked uh, through his uh, iPhone and he was like searching for 
prayer for healing, something like that in Hebrew. And the thing that came up was a Messianic Jews. Mm. And uh, he called them and they came immediately and they prayed for the boy and the boy was healed. Mm. The boy was healed. He was four years old or five years old and, uh, and, um, and he was healed literally uh, almost instantly. And the doctors, it was just uh, when they took him to do the x-ray on his head, uh, they saw that the tumor was shrinking and it was gone. And the doctor says he was a miracle. He was a, a medical miracle. Mm. And, um, uh, and, and, and he remembered that when they were praying uh, uh, for his nephew that they're going to be, they said, God, if you, you know, we're going to dedicate our life to you, you know, as they prayed with the Messianic Jews, two Israelis, two other Israeli Messianic Jews that come from Orthodox background. Wow. And um, so it was... When I heard his testimony, I got shivers all over my body. And I said, wow, your testimony really needs to go out. People need to hear about this healing. And, you know, I just felt there are so many of those people probably with testimonies of great miracles that are happening to them that are not even going out to the public. But God, you know, it's like in the book of Joel, uh, my, my, my children, my sons and daughters will see visions and, and I believe people will be healed. I believe God is already doing a huge process mm. of where people are coming to a revelation of a personal encounters with the Lord, with Yeshua. And I believe it's happening. And maybe we don't know about it, but one day, very soon, a lot of things will be revealed to us about all these great miracles that are taking place. So, um, yes, there are many believers, many Israeli-born believers that are coming through supernatural uh, yeah. uh, visitations of the Lord. And, you know, Bacha, a, a couple of years ago, I was uh, with a, a small team in Israel, and we were working with uh, some other Jewish believers in the land and some others that had come in just to do outreach and we were, we were doing TV interviews. We were telling people this is going to air on Christian TV, and we're going to ask you questions about Messiah and things like that. So the, the first goal was maybe someone's interested to talk more. And we had, we had Jewish believers there, Messianic Jews, that would be happy to talk to someone more. And the second goal was to get some really good footage uh, to air on Christian TV to give an insight to Christians about what Jews believed. So we were doing very openly, clearly who we were. Uh, a fellow with the group Yad Lachim that you know very well, uh, anti-missionary, very disruptive group. He comes in, starts yelling, missionary, missionary, disrupts the meeting and dis disrupts the videotaping. It ends up, uh, he's following me through the local shuk, the, the market there. And I thought, as long as he's yelling at me, he's not going to chase me out. So as long as he's yelling, I'm just going to stay. And then I thought, well, let me use this as, a, as an opportunity to preach. So I'm asking the people around, is it okay to have these beliefs? Are we free to have these beliefs? They go, yeah. So any, anyway, end up surrounded, surrounded by ultra-Orthodox Jews. And when they hear that I believe in Yeshua, very angry, begin to spit on the ground. And, you know, to them, Jesus is an evil person. They don't know who he really is. They connect a straight line from the New Testament to the Holocaust in their thinking. And here I am preaching him. And I remember as one guy was spitting on the ground and standing there so angry, the thoughts that were going through my head, Bhatia, yeah, I was wondering, I wonder how God's going to open their eyes. I wonder how men like this are going to come to faith in Yeshua. Because we know what's happening in the Muslim community. And little mm -hmm. bits and trickles in the very religious community. I think there's a lot more happening that we just don't know about because it's also secret. But we just got a minute or two, Bhatia, that 
you share that same heart that there's a lot happening that pretty soon we're, we're going to find out how much has been happening behind the scenes? I believe so. I believe that there are many, I believe that there are many born again believers. I believe that uh, God is, is started uh, a process many, many years ago, and those are going to come out. And uh, we're all going to be very surprised about what the future had for us. You know, I personally also was healed of cancer. And I think these great mm. miracles of like, um, uh, uh, you know, visions of God uh, is they are happening. Yeah. I think out of this desperation, too, of that people are going through so much suffering now. Uh, due to the COVID, so many people lost their loved ones. I believe yeah. that there is, this time is a time of, of um, um, how do you say, of engagement yeah. uh, with Yeshua, with Jesus. Yeah, and, and all the work that, that you and Barry have done with Joseph Storehouse and Vision for Israel and the teams and all that have worked together to just show genuine love because you're followers of Yeshua, it's the natural thing to do. That, that has planted so many seeds and, and, and made people realize God's goodness and the reality of the Messiah who changed your, your lives. So friends, check out visionforisrael.com. Pray for Barry and Bacha, their, their wonderful family, and all those working with them. And let's believe for uh, amazing harvest, for God's grace to be poured out in extraordinary ways, for Jewish people from every background to turn to God and recognize Yeshua Jesus as the Messiah. And, and we'll, we'll post a link uh, probably today or tomorrow on Facebook, uh, letting everyone know about this prayer for Messiah on Sunday. We'll post a video that you can watch from religious Jews and secular Jews talking about we're all going to be praying for this. So join us in believing God for eyes to be open that all Israel will be safe. God bless.